We got lots to do, and let's get excited because we got a lot to do. Okay, um, first things first, want to get something out of the way. I want to just uh, debunk a myth that uh, pastors uh, are safe and that being a pastor is a safe thing uh, because it's not. And some of you are wondering why I'm wearing this really cool Michael Jackson lookalike glove. Uh, it's because being a pastor is not safe. Uh, in July, when I was preaching on the heart, uh, Nike and I were doing this little thing where he was guarding me and I had a basketball. But when he grabbed that basketball out of my hand, he ripped my thumb back and it ripped all the tendons out of my thumb, okay? And it broke all the bone around there, okay? And so I got surgery done a week and a half ago, okay? Just so I could wear this thing for the next eight weeks because it's that cool, all right? So... Some of you are going to be distracted by it all morning. Please do not. Do not pay attention of it. Some of you will be like, man, that sermon was good, but what was that thing on his hand, okay? We got a lot to get doing. So let's pray uh, and ask God to, to bless this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. You're a great God. Uh, thanks that you love to laugh, God, that you, you, you made laughter. And God, thanks for, uh, for today. God, we come to you. We submit ourselves to you this morning uh, under the umbrella of your word. God, that we would change our lives as a result of being convicted and hearing what you have to say. God, that would you cause us to move in a direction uh, of obedience? God, we thank you this morning for all that you give us. And God, we want to give you the glory. We want to change the world for you. We love you. And we thank you. Amen. Uh, started a series last week called Dilemma, or a couple weeks ago started it called Dilemma, uh, where Jesus meets people, causes a dilemma in their lives. And by the way, anytime we meet Jesus, there's always a dilemma there. He's always calling us to do something a lot of times we don't even want to do. But in that moment, we have a choice. We can go right or we can go left. We can pursue the things of God or we're going to go the other way. A couple weeks ago, I preached on uh, the thief on the cross, comes to Jesus with absolutely nothing. He's got nothing. And yet he comes to Jesus, he humbles himself and says, I want eternal life. I believe you are God. And, and Jesus says, yes, welcome. Welcome into eternal life. Awesome, awesome. And so every moment that Jesus comes to you and I and comes to those in Scripture, people are met with a dilemma. People are met with change or die. And, and this morning, the passage we're going to be going to, can I just be real honest? I don't get nervous very often when I preach. Uh, I'm excited, always excited. Um, I'm nervous this morning. I'm nervous. This is one of those passages where you, at first, it seems like a really nice invitation that Jesus meets and greets, and all of a sudden, he just punches this guy in the stomach, and he's going to do that to you this morning, and I'm nervous about that. I'm nervous that you'll make excuses. I'm, ner I'm nervous that this will just kind of flow over, go in one ear and out the other, close our eyes and act like it didn't happen. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm nervous that You'll make excuses because of the time we're in at our church right now. And say, oh, here we go. <laughs> Look how they plan that out. How perfect. You'll make excuses. I'm nervous about that. 
This message was preordained before the beginning of time for this moment and this time. I'm nervous. I'm nervous that this doesn't become concrete in your life. And and that you'll do that whole thing. You know, anytime you hear someone speak, there's always that moment where you're thinking about someone else. Like, they would this is perfect for them. If they could just, if my wife could hear this, it would help her out so much. I'm afraid that you're going to do that this morning. Because this message, this talk from God's word is for you and I. And it's intense. It's heavy. And can I just tell you, I myself, as studying through this, have struggled, have wrestled with God's word. Have prayed through it. I've prayed for you. And I want you to know that, that I myself, as, I, as we go through this, I myself am working on things in my own life so that I get right, so that I can present this to you in a non-hypocritical way. So that I'm not just somebody up here saying, do this, do this, do this, and I'm not doing it in my own life. And I, I just want you to know that, that as we enter into God's word this morning, that it is something for all of us, and it's something that I'm struggling with, and that I'm moving forward in through God's grace. So uh, let's uh, get going. Uh, Mark 10, verse 17. Uh, For those of you who come to Cornerstone, you're used to us going through a scripture, but we're going to go through this like a Bible study, which means we're going to go through verse by verse, and we're just going to shred it apart, which is awesome. I love it, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, get a pen out and start writing notes, because you're going to learn stuff this morning. Start digging in with me. So we're going to go to Mark 10, uh, verse 17 is where we're going to get started, okay? Uh, Some background. Jesus has been traveling around doing a bunch of teaching. You've been doing a bunch of teaching, and that's why in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible, there's lots of red. It's like all over the place. Because he's traveling here, he's traveling to Nazareth, he's traveling all over the place, and he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. Okay, he's healing people, he's doing really great things. And I love that about Jesus. I love that Jesus isn't like, come to church on Sunday morning, and I'm going to give a killer message, okay? That Jesus is out and about every day is church for him, right? He's just giving the message wherever he goes. He's feeding people. He's healing people. It's awesome. So Jesus is out and about doing this. And this particular story that we're going to be studying this morning is known as the story of the rich young ruler. Now, the way we get that is through the synoptic gospels, okay? The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that this man that Jesus is about to encounter is rich, Okay, Luke talks about him and, and says that he's a ruler. Okay, uh, Matthew says he, he's a young guy. Okay, so you see that through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's three different perspectives on the same story, and that's how we get the title, the rich young ruler. It's scripture, it's saying three different things the same way. Does that make any sense? Okay, it's three different perspectives on a story. Nowhere does it say in any Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he was a rich young ruler, but their perspective brings out each one of those nuggets. You got it? Okay, good. So let's dig in. Oh, I'm so excited. Here we go. Verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on a trip, a man came running up to Jesus, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Here's a weird moment. This man, okay, this rich young ruler is running to Jesus, right? He falls down on his knees. He says, good teacher. Okay, and this is a weird moment because this. Here's Jesus. Jesus is a nomad Nazarene, right? He's just all beat up. He's dusty. And here's this guy who's like 
delicately dressed, right? He, he looks beautiful. He's got colors on and color uh, signified wealth, right? And he falls down before Jesus and he says, good teacher. It, it, it's kind of like this. It's like Bill Gates running to Billy Graham and falling down at Billy Graham's feet and going, oh, good teacher. Oh, good teacher, right? And that's the moment. It's just bizarre. It's a little weird. And the weirder part about it is that he calls him good teacher. Now, nowhere in the Bible and nowhere historically has that ever been said of a rabbi. Okay, Jesus was a rabbi, which means teacher. In fact, if you were to come to a rabbi and call him good, he would say there's only, things that, there's only two things that are good, the law and God. Okay, so when this man falls on Jesus' feet and yells, good teacher, he's kind of starstruck. Right? He's kind of like, oh, I've heard about this Jesus. He's awesome. Oh, my goodness. And, and he's kind of flattering Jesus, kind of softening, trying to soften him up. Right? Oh, good teacher. He falls down his feet, all dressed in all his garb and color and wealth, everything. He falls down at Jesus, and Jesus does something great. Jesus says in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asks, only God is truly good. I love that. You know why? Jesus diverts all the attention from him to God. And what Jesus is doing is setting up where he is about to go. He's saying, whoa, 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 you think this is about me? This is not about me. This is about God. You need to redirect your attention to God. I wish more pastors did that, right? When people came up and talked, that they would say, this is not about me. This is about God and his work. It's an act of humility. It's not about me. You've got it all wrong. You're throwing your face down on my feet when you should be throwing it down before the throne of God. You get it? So he's kind of misguided. He's kind of flattering Jesus, trying to butter him up because he's got a question. And his question is this. What should I do to get eternal life? We go, wow, that's a great question. What do I do to get eternal life? And I find it interesting that here is a man with everything. Every materialistic thing that, that we could ever want, we could ever dream. I mean, this guy has got the nicest, you know, donkey on the block, right? He just walked up to the dealership and was like, I don't want that one. What kind of features does it come out? Well, it doesn't stink that bad. I'll take it, okay? Like, he's got everything. He's, he's got a nice house. He, he's got authority. He's got position. He's got beautiful garments of probably purple to signify how powerful he is. He's got everything. And yet, there's something he doesn't have. Because what this man is looking for is peace with God. He's looking for true joy and true satisfaction, and he doesn't have it. He's got everything else that you could ever want, but something is missing. You ever felt like that? Like, I got so much, but there's something, I, I want that. I want eternal life. What do I have to do to get it? Because his whole life was about, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Oh, I have to work harder to get my money? Okay, cool. Well, what do I have to do? So he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Jesus does something amazing because he's Jesus. Uh, verse 19. But as for your question, the question of how do I get eternal life, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely, do not cheat. Honor your father and your mother. In verse 20, he says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. This guy is stoked. 
Yay! I've done all that stuff. Woo! Is that all it was? Oh, that's great. But here's what Jesus did. Something really great. Jesus took the second half of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are split up into two sections. How we deal with God and how we deal with others. Got it? Jesus is setting him up for what he's about to drop. This dilemma that he's about to drop in his lap. Jesus is setting him up. And Jesus says to him, what have you done? How have you treated other people? And he goes, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done any of those things that you talked about. And this guy's feeling pretty good about himself. He's going, yay, I'm a good guy. I deserve eternal life, Jesus. I'm great. But isn't this in stark contrast to the criminal on the cross? He goes, Jesus, look what I've done. I've done all these great things. I love this. Verse 21, Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked at him. You know, my whole life I grew up thinking that Jesus was pointing his finger at me and waiting for me to just do something wrong so he could get me, right? I was just so, I always worried about that. And we see in this moment that when Jesus comes and is about to drop this dilemma in this guy's lap, really get up in his face, he loves him. Can I just tell you this morning, as you're about to hear God's word with absolute clarity, that Jesus loves you. And that his tone in this is not pointing his finger in your face, not thumping his chest. His attitude in this is love. Love. He loves you. He wants you to get this. You know, one of the hardest things to do as a parent is to punish my kids. And by the way, in our house, we spank. Right? Because it's biblical. Right? Some of you need to spank your kids. Your neighbors are going like this. You, he's talking to you. Your little brat needs spanked. <laughs> we spank our kids because it's biblical. But I hate it. But can I tell you, when I hold my son after I've got done punishing him and he's crying, that's, I love you. I love you so much. I just want you to get this. I just want you to, that's Jesus' attitude. I love this guy. Remember, this is the same Jesus that hangs from a cross. And just a week earlier, the people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now we're yelling, crucify him. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves this man so much. And this is the dilemma. Verse 21, you lack only one thing, not a lot of stuff, one thing, and it's a biggie. Go and sell all you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went sadly away because he had many possessions. What a terrible passage. Just terribly heavy. What Jesus says to this man is, you've just got done telling me how great you are. Telling me all the stuff you have and have not done. But Jesus' question to this man is profound for this man and for you and I. This is a question that should rattle your brain, should convict your heart. 
What are you doing with what God has given to you? Because this man comes to Jesus and says, look at all the stuff I haven't done. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't lied. I haven't sinned. And Jesus says, you keep telling me about all the stuff you haven't done, but what have you done with what I've given to you? This man has so much money. He's incredibly wealthy. He's got prestige and power. And Jesus says, what are you doing for others? Because you seem to be taking care of yourself pretty good. What are you doing for others? And we think this passage is, is Jesus saying, be poor. You need to be poor, and that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. That's traditionally how this passage has been read. But can I just tell you that Jesus' heart in this passage is not that. Jesus' heart in this, in this passage is, what are you doing with what I've given to you? How are you doing unto others that you have done to yourself? The golden rule in Matthew 7. Church, what are you doing with what God's given to you? And essentially what Jesus is saying to this man is this. You say you're great. You say you're obedient. You say you're all these things and you're so wonderful. Put your money where your mouth is. Go sell all your stuff and really find out what true living's about. And this man says, no. How sad. Do you know that's the condition of our United States of America? Do you know that's the condition, I believe, of our churches? While we're not growing, not numerically, but spiritually. Because Jesus says in Matthew earlier on, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you value most in this life, what you worry about, what you wrap your life around, is where you will head and who will be your king. Are you worshiping the creator or all the stuff he created? And the stuff he created was given to you by God because he wants you to go do something with it. Not to build up storehouses. Not to just throw it in a bank account or a 401k. It's to position yourself for the kingdom of God. And you know why we resist this passage? Do you know why we hate to talk about this stuff? It's because America, guess what? Church, we're rich. We're rich. We're filthy, rotten, rich. And we resist this passage because we go, that's not me. I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of stuff. I don't drive a nice car. I don't live in a fancy house. I don't eat out all the... Th we don't think we're rich. And so we read this passage and we go, oh, well, that's for the rich people. You know, and later on he says it's harder for them to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. We go, yeah, that's right. That's us. We're the rich young ruler. Do you know... That half of our world, three billion people live off of two and a half dollars a day. Less than. Do you know that 80% of our world lives on less than $10 a day? 80% of our world lives on less than $10 a day. If you woke up this morning and you turned on the faucet and had clean water, you're rich. If you drove a car here this morning, you're rich. If you have food in the pantry, you're rich. 
We even let things expire. We're rich. If you have a mattress, you're rich. Table, chairs, couches, you're rich. A TV, you're rich. We are so rich. Do you know that last year we spent $22 billion on cosmetics, painting the barn? Do you know we spent $9.5 billion at Starbucks? Just at Starbucks. We spent $82 billion on clothes. We spent, check this, $55.5 billion trying to lose weight while the rest of the world is trying to gain weight. We've got so much we're trying to lose weight while the rest of the world is just wanting to have a meal. We spent $110 billion last year on fast food. While as, as Bono would say, the rest of the world is just looking to eat the scraps off our table. $100 billion on electronics and $600 billion on cars. Do you know that 2,500 kids a day, according to UNICEF, die of poverty? Die. You know, 1.4 million kids die a year because they just don't have clean water to drink. America, we're rich. Church, you're rich. We have so much. We've been given so much. We've been given so much to do so much with. And yet, like the rich young ruler, we start worshiping the stuff instead of the creator of the stuff. And the question that you, should, uh, you and I should wrestle with this morning, and believe me, I've wrestled with it, is what are we doing to influence the world with what God has given to us? Because if we were really truthful, we're, we're, we're so up to debt, up to, we're up to our necks in debt, so much that we can't help the world. We've got bigger cars and more fancier houses than you can imagine. So that at the end of the day, we say, we can't help anybody. I'm too strapped, man. And God would say, then who's your God? Who are you really following? Do you worry about the things that Jesus worries about? Are you like the rest of the people in America who are freaking out because their portfolios are looking the way they are and their mortgages are higher than they thought because they've wrapped their whole lives, we've wrapped our whole lives around the comfort of the stuff. When Jesus was like, I just want you to wrap your life around me. I told you this was tough. Can I just tell you, I struggle with this. I know you're struggling with it. I hope you are. I hope you feel convicted and heavy this morning. I do. I pray that on you. Can I tell you, as, as I sit in my old, or 1998 Saturn station wagon with 156,000 miles on it, that I don't think, man, I would love a new car. But it's paid off. I mean, I, I absolutely struggle with this. Patty and I are debt-free and work very hard to be debt-free. Can I tell you, I struggle with stuff. And I know you do too. And so I, I come to you this morning as a, as a fellow sojourner. 
as somebody who is doing this with you and begging you to wrestle with this. Begging you to submit your lives to God and to stop submitting your lives to stuff. It's squelching the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do through you and what you've been given. Do you get that? How huge this is? And there is a solution. Matthew 5, 3 begins uh, the Beatitudes. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus sits down and as he's preaching this, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. Love that. The word poor there is the word in Greek, tokwas, that comes from the root word tosian, which basically means it's poor, but it's not poor like you and I think. Like, oh man, I didn't get my latte this morning. I'm so poor. It's so poor that I am utterly dependent on somebody to give me food, that I'm on my knees, my hands are in the air, I'm completely submissive to whomever provides for me. And it says that as you and I move our lives in that manner towards our heavenly Father, that God, we are completely dependent upon you. That we have nothing that hasn't been given to us. God says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they're going to see cool things happen. They're going to see me use them in a powerful way. I'm going to use everything that I have given to them in a powerful, powerful way, because they have come to me like the man hanging on the cross. He says, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you. The stark, the stark difference is that this guy has not obeyed any commandments. He has stolen, he has lied, he has robbed. And Jesus says, welcome into my kingdom because you have emptied yourself. Welcome. And this man over this guy, this rich young ruler has obeyed all the commandments. He's a good guy. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. It's all about you and your stuff. And it's not about me. And the man turns his back and walks away. To sum up this beatitude, this is what essentially what this is saying. Blessed are those, that's you and I, blessed are those who have realized their own helplessness. Do you feel helpless this morning? Not helpless in, I don't have enough money, not helpless in, my mortgage is, is, is too high, but helpless in, I have nothing that doesn't come from the hand of God. And who put their whole trust in God. That you would say at the end of the day, God, I'm completely empty. Let me have whatever you give me. My breath, my steps, my life. Thank you. And as a result of that, we go out and we serve the world with everything we've been given. This morning you woke up, you took a big breath, which is a reminder to you that God still has a plan for your life. Otherwise, he'd snuff it out because he's the giver and taker of life. That for those of you, us Americans, who have so much, God says, use it for my glory. Use it for my glory. Use it to help other people. 
Staggering statistic that I learned this week. 12% of Bible-believing, church-going, prayer-warrior Christians, 12% of them tithe nationwide. That means 12% are covering the deficit for the other 88% who are so wrapped up into the stuff. Can I tell you, as I did the math this week, that was a $70 billion hit. That the church of Jesus Christ could be moving out and helping this world. But because we've wrapped our lives around the stuff, we're not having kingdom influence in the world. We're not being the hands and feet of Christ. Do you get that? $70 billion. The question this morning is, what are you going to surrender to? Are you going to be like the Roman centurion who completely surrenders his life and says, I trust you. I have absolute faith in you. And just God says, I reward you. Like, like, like a criminal hanging on the cross who says, I've got nothing. Would you save me? And Jesus says, yes. Or are you going to be like Judas are you going to be like the rich young ruler who says, it's all about the stuff for me. It's all about the evidence. It's all about everything other than God. What will you surrender your life to? There's an amazing quote in, uh, I, I do most of my study through William Barclay's commentaries. Uh, he's a theologian and a commentator, and he says this. I love this. If we would find eternal life, if we would find happiness, joy, satisfaction, peace of mind, and serenity of heart, it will not be by piling up a credit balance with God through keeping commandments, observing rules and regulations. It will be through, listen to this church, reproducing God's attitude of love and care to our neighbors. To follow Christ and in grace and generosity to serve the men and the women for whom Christ died are one and the same. That's why Jesus says the first, the number one first greatest commandment, singular, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love others is as equally important. It's one commandment. And then he ends by saying this. Those who put things before people and self before others must turn their backs on Jesus Christ. What will you surrender to? Will you surrender to the creation or the, to the creator? And I, I would beg of you this morning that you would wrestle with this. Do not let this just ripple off, but wrestle with this tension that you feel in your soul right now. Because scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. Maybe honor God with all we have for the glory and the honor of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. You know my trepidation as I speak in your word this morning. As I prayed through it this week and as I've been studying through it, God, you know how tense I was about this and wanting so badly for your words to be spoken here this morning. God, I realize I'm just a dude that's trying to be like you. 
God, would you help them not to hear words from me, but words from your scripture? Lord, would you help them to not let go of that tension that's in their soul right now? Lord, that so that we could change the world by what we do with what you've given to us, God. That the church of Jesus Christ would continue in obedience so that we could change the world the way you planned it from the beginning. And God, we love you and we thank you for everything you had given to us, God. It's a gift and we honor you and we thank you for that. We praise you in your holy name. Amen.